If you know anything at all about God, you're going to find out he don't need help being God. He's God all by himself. He don't need a second or a third God or another personality of God or another person of God. Or uh, He's God. When you say his name, you've said enough. It's enough. Praise God. So this week in, in our uh, Focus 52 chapter, uh, it just so happened. That it fell this week in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians chapter number 1. Now, if I had it my way, we'd probably do Focus 52 in in a book of Colossians every week for about 8 months. Because there's nothing like revelation and there's nothing like truth. So, what I want God to do in this place tonight is just like the road to Emmaus. uh, The Bible said, then opened he their understanding. To understand the scripture. If you try to view God through some kind of uh, a western mindset. Through creedal theology. You're going to have a difficult time seeing who he is. But if you will allow him to open your understanding. To see who he is. He will manifest himself to you and become more real to you than he has ever been. And it's something that matters to him. That's why when walking with his disciples he asked them the question. Who do men say that I the son of man am? He said, then, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, and flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, Simon. But my Father which is in heaven. This is a powerful revelation. Colossians chapter 1. And together we will read verse number 12. And then I will let you be seated. And I hope tonight you don't mind at all that we just do some expository teaching uh, on the book of Colossians and just spend a little time here together. There is nothing to me like studying the Word of God together. Amen? Amen. Verse number 12 of chapter 1, Colossians. Let's read it together. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Praise God. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Amen. Somebody say amen to the reading of the word of God. You may be seated in Jesus' name. We're going to spend just a few minutes together tonight in the word of the Lord. Um, But before, uh, before we do, I want to tell you that once you see the revelation of who he is, it's hard to unsee the revelation. It changes the way you read the scripture. But the contrary is also true. That as long as you try to see him through the eyes of false doctrine and through the eyes of creedal theology. And I'll explain more of that in just a moment. But basically the understanding of God being triune in and of himself is absolutely the most damnable heresy that has ever been preached concerning the Godhead because it is established in Genesis chapter 1 verse number 1 who he is in the beginning God somebody shout that 
Elohim, God. One God. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 is absolutely a cornerstone that we stand on and we build on. The Lord our God is one. He's one. He is absolutely one. And so you must approach the scripture with a clear understanding of who he is. And it was not until men began to introduce their ideas of a God that they could not explain. And so they reduced him to a different kind of idea to say it's impossible for God to do all this uh, as, a, as a single person, if you would, in a Godhead. So uh, they began to devise their own ways, uh, sitting at a council, first at Constantinople, technically, and then Nicaea 1. And they began to discuss the idea of a triune Godhead. Now, we as the body of Christ, as Jesus' name people, have been called through the world, uh, uh, through, through the ages of the world, a lot of things. We've been called one godders. Uh, we've been called Jesus only. We've been called holy rollers. Uh, the Jesus only statement comes very simply from the most sound biblical doctrine of baptism because we baptize only in the name of Jesus. We are Jesus only, not in a modalistic type understanding that Jesus uh, is the eternal Son of God and that that's all there was. No, we understand uh, how this came to be. We understand that he was conceived in the womb of a virgin. We don't believe that we're Jesus only as in that Jesus was there in the flesh in the beginning. It's impossible. We know when he was born. We know that he was born through the womb of a virgin. We understand all of that. But when we say that we are Jesus only, we are saying that we are Jesus only because Acts 4 and 12 says it's the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And it's very, very important for you to know who he is. We're going to go a little bit deeper, but I want to tell you in a way tonight, if I could help you at all, to see that once you... See who he is, you can't really unsee who he is. I appreciate the fries letting me get in their groceries tonight. I needed a lemon. And I'm not talking about the people that look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. I just needed a good lemon. And so they happened to have some and they blessed me with it. Now, as children, you can see so many, so many points of view to understand who Jesus is. I've told many, many times in Bible studies a very simple illustration that turns on the light for somebody, that if we were to go out in a boat 15 miles into the Gulf of Mexico and fill up a milk jug with water from the Gulf of Mexico, okay? We come back in from the Gulf of Mexico 15 miles, get to shore. Could somebody please tell me what I've got in that bottle? Water from the Gulf of Mexico. Now what if I told you that that was the last of the water in the Gulf of Mexico, but we're standing there on the seashore, and you're looking out, you can see all the water that's in the, the Gulf of Mexico. How many of you think I was crazy? You would, because I told you that's all there is. This right here and this bottle is all there is. Now, somebody tell me, is there any difference in what's in that bottle than what's in the Gulf of Mexico? The only difference whatsoever is that it's contained in a vessel. But you did not deplete the Gulf of Mexico because you took all of the Gulf of Mexico and put it in a bottle. 
So when people are trying to reconcile Colossians 2 and 9, for in him, somebody say in him, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, how? Bodily. So in that milk jug dwelleth all the fullness of the Gulf of Mexico in a vessel. Is that true? It doesn't change the molecular structure. It doesn't change the identity of it whatsoever. It's just there. So I'm breaking this down Gerber style at the beginning tonight. Some of you, I don't know how, but somehow oneness teaching gets old to people. But it never gets old to me. How many of you in this place have ever uh, gone out to eat and ordered water with lemon? Do it. Cheapskates. Bunch of you order water with lemon, you say, bring me extra lemon. And then you get the sugar and you make your own lemonade because you're a tightwad. <laughs> Sooner or later, restaurants are going to catch on. Them lemons are more expensive than Pepsi. And I mean, no pressure at all. But I just want you to think about who handled those lemons and cut them and rubbed their hands all over them. And You're welcome. So... When you squeeze that lemon into the water, okay? Folks, this is so simple. I'm almost embarrassed to teach it like this. When you squeeze that lemon into the water, here's what you know. The lemon is in the water, and the water is in the lemon. Everybody agree? Now, when it comes to potency, the lemon is greater than the water. There's nobody here that's going to lick that water in the jar and make your face do like that. But if you touch your tongue to the lemon, it has a greater power of flavor. Right? Am I telling you the truth? Yet, they are still one drink. The lemon has now been infused into the water. The lemon is basically invisible in that water. You cannot really see it. It clouds it up a little bit. But he that hath seen the water hath seen the lemon. See, I'm taking y'all to apostolic kindergarten tonight. You don't even want none of this. You can't take that water with lemon and say, show me the lemon, Philip. See, I'm taking you to some scripture right here. Philip said, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Jesus said, Philip. How long have I been with you? And you say to me, show us the Father? Philip, when you see me, you have seen the Father. Now the lemon without the water is way too fiery. You can't hardly handle the lemon without the water. But the water becomes the mediator between your tongue and the lemon. The Lord said in the Old Testament to Moses, no man can see me and live. Yet we'll discover in just a few moments in the book of Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We are told by Paul to his son in the gospel, Timothy, that there is but one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And so, just a simple understanding, whosoever accepts that water accepts the lemon. 
Have I lost y'all at, at the lemon? Are, are, are you still with me? Because what I'd like to invite you to do tonight is just taste and see that the water with lemon, it is good. What I want to say to you tonight is that there is absolutely no misunderstanding of who he is tonight. And we're going to walk through this together by scripture simply. But I want to tell you that just as you can take H2O, water, and you, you can take that very same water and stick it in the freezer in an ice tray. And in about two or three hours, that water has now turned to ice. You can take that water and put it in a boiling pot and it will turn to vapor, into steam. But I challenge anybody in the world tonight that can take that water, that ice that's in the freezer and change the molecular structure of that and tell me that that ice is not water. You take the steam and the fog and guess what you're going to have when you break it down? It's H2O. That's why whether you've got H2O in a glass or you've got H2O in an ice cube or you've got H2O in steam, all you've got is water. So if you take him as the Father in creation, the Son in redemption or the Holy Ghost in the church, you've still only got one God. Anybody here want to believe that with me tonight? So... I just, I just feel like tonight that God wants to meet with us for just a few minutes in this house. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the church at Colossae. I, I appreciate you hanging with me through my, my extraordinarily awesome and deep fruit illustration tonight. Y'all are probably swimming in the deep end right now. I hope you brought your floaties with you. Praise God. So the understanding is that God is not just one as in person but God is one absolute. There is no shadow in, in his turn. There's no burying in that God is one. So as you approach the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you must understand God is one. For God to have changed his mind midstream would have been against the nature of God. He is one absolute by himself. But the church at Colossae had started breaking off into some strange doctrines. A little behind Colossae is that uh, it was, it was a, about a hundred miles inland from Ephesus. How many of you ever read Ephesians? So Colossae was about a hundred miles inland from Ephesus. And uh, it was here at Ephesus in the region of Asia Minor that uh, you would find a wealthy cosmopolitan area, beautiful uh, place, business. But because it was a melting pot, so to speak, there were all kinds of religions in that area. Uh, there was Judaism, uh, which is basically the, the father of all of us, the mother of all of us in our one God understanding. Uh, there was a large Jewish colony there right in, uh, in Colossae. It was a fertile breeding ground, however, for heresy because there was so many uh, religions that were talking all the time and going back and forth together. But I want you to understand the thing about Colossae. The reason why we have it in the, in the scripture. Is not because there was a multiplicity of religious ideas there. The reason why we have it in the scripture. Is because there was an apostolic church there. The reason why the letter was written to the Colossians. It was not written to the churches in heresy. It was not written to the churches that were messed up in their Gnosticism and crazy ideas. It was written to the one God, Jesus' name, apostolic, Holy Ghost-filled church in Colossae. 
Pastor, why in the world would you continue to preach the revelation of who God is to a one God church that's already one God because we don't ever need to forget who He is? Now, here's the interesting thing. Paul is the author of, of the book of Colossians, and Paul had never been there. Paul never stepped foot uh, inside the church as far as we know. Never even visited it. Uh, never. But we do know, according to chapter 1, verse 4, and I believe verse 9, he said, I've heard about you, and I do wish that I could be there with you. He never went. But the church at Colossae was uh, somewhat of an outgrowth, a daughter work, if you would, in modern terms. It was a daughter work. Uh, of Paul's ministry there was a powerful move of God that had impacted that region very very much as a matter of fact if you read in the book of Acts the 19th chapter and I hope I'm not boring you here with some basic Bible teaching but if you read in the book of Acts the 19th chapter where they come preaching and they ask them the question have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed and they said we didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost and so he laid hands on them they received the Holy Ghost and then they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sin. By Acts 19 and 10, you find out that in the space of two years, somebody shout two years. Two years. In the space of two years, in Acts 19 and 10, the scripture tells us that all of Asia Minor had heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This church at Colossae was a daughter, was a child, was an offsprout uh, sprout of the revival that happened in Acts the 19th chapter where a few people got their hearts set on fire from God and the Holy Ghost was burning them up from the inside out. And I'm telling you that Hierapolis and Colossae in Asia, everyone, that entire region was set on fire by just a couple of folks who said this Holy Ghost is so good that it's worth whatever it cost us to let the world know they need to know this Jesus. And so I'm telling you tonight that if just a couple of men could set an entire region of the world on fire and show us that almost 60 years later there was still an apostolic church at Colossae, then somebody ought to be able to tell their neighbor about the goodness of Jesus. Amen. Now, the work there at Colossae was continued, and there's not going to be a pop quiz at this. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hit this very quickly, by a man named Epaphras. Epaphras was more than likely the, the bishop, the senior pastor of the church at Colossae. He was one of Paul's converts in the meeting at Ephesus. You'll find that uh, information there. And he returned home to start a church in his hometown of Colossae, or how, however you would prefer uh, to say that. He also ministered in Hierapolis and Laodicea, and we read about uh, that church a little bit in the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea. There were some interesting things about that. But something that you can kind of pick up on in the book of Revelation is the reason why the book of Colossae is being written. There's something that's transpiring in Colossae that would cause Paul, the apostle of God, who had never even been to Colossae, to write a, a letter to them and emphatically declare the preeminence of Christ to them. The best that we can understand it is that Epaphras came to Paul and told him that there was some heresy that was beginning to threaten the young church, some false doctrines that were arising. And uh, he traveled there to Rome and uh, 
His, his mentor, Paul, was in prison. And the best that we can tell, Paul was stirred up in his spirit. And you can see it in the language just a little bit. But I want to tell you tonight the importance of understanding this. And I sure hope that I'm not boring you, but I don't know how else to get this to you tonight. Because the danger that the Apostle Paul was seeing at the church at Colossae was something that Epaphras began to explain to him and divide to him the understanding of what it was that was going on. And the heresy that the church at Colossae was falling into, it was a blended message. If you've studied church history at all, you began to read throughout ages that there were some blended messages, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and maybe a whole lot of this, but we don't like that part of it. So we put it together in that Colossae. It was part Christianity. It was part uh, Messianic people. It was part Jewish, and it was part Jewish legalism. Some of them said, oh, no, 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 you got to keep all this part of the law, but not, not this part of the law. And we, we want a little bit of Christ involved in this, too. We want just a little bit of that. And then they reached over and grabbed some Eastern philosophy and brought that in. And they got a little bit of Gnosticism, which uh, elevated knowledge over the power of God. And I, I don't have time to get into the Gnostics, but the principle that I'm trying to get to you that stirred the heart of Paul is that the reason sound doctrine was not being preached at Colossae is being because the doctrine that had been established there was the doctrine of one God, Jesus named baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But when the church started getting carnal because they were in the world and they started acting like they were of the world, all of a sudden a little bit of Eastern philosophy started sounding good to them. Well, I think there's some things that these Christians are practicing that may be necessary, but I don't think it's all necessary to get to heaven. I think the Holy Ghost is a good thing, preacher, but I don't necessarily think it's, that it's something that's just paramount if I'm going to make it to heaven. You know, it's a great gift to have, but I don't think that I have to have the Holy Ghost. And as far as baptism is concerned, you know, we Gnostics, we understand that the knowledge of who he is is by far more important than being baptized in his name. So let's just come back to the root of this tonight. And the root, very simply, is this. Jesus said, not Paul, not Peter, as if it would make any difference, but Jesus said in John chapter 3, Except a man be born again of water and of the Spirit. Listen, I want to tell you that the danger to the apostolic message in this day and hour is becoming a blended message where you've got just enough of the church to still be churchy, but enough of the world. Oh, God. You hold enough to the doctrine to get your Sunday feel good, but it's not really quite enough to still be holy and righteous. And you start asking questions like, how much can I get by with but still be saved? How much can I go without but still be saved? I feel like telling you tonight that if it's in the Word of God, it is necessary. There's going to be a lot of disappointed folks when they get to heaven and stand before the Lord on that great and terrible day and they try to blame their pastor for not preaching to them the whole truth and the Lord's going to say, I gave you my word and you could have studied yourself and found out what I put in my word. So basically what happened is that at Colossae there was a, there was a 
a big threat in the apostolic church to create their own brand of spirituality. Folks, this is not new. This is not something we're just dealing with in the 21st century. It was happening. This, I, be, I believe Colossians was written somewhere around 60 A.D. And so what, what we're talking about, now understand this. Approximately 25, 27 years after Jesus has resurrected and ascended to heaven. So let's just say it's their 25-year anniversary. The church is 25 years old. And already blended theology is moving throughout the body. How long does it take, Pastor? All it takes is one move of compromise. Because the spirit of compromise is never, ever satisfied. If you ever open up your mind and say, well, I just want to be more open-minded. You can't afford to be open-minded when it comes to the scripture. And that's the problem is that people are so open-minded their brains are falling out. If Jesus said you must be born again, then you got to be born again. So, because of this, we understand that Epaphras begins to convey to the Apostle Paul that the ultimate uh, movement of the teaching at Colossae was something along this order. And you can pick this up if you read the book of Colossians. The false teaching would not deny the importance of Jesus Christ. My God, does this forevermore sound like modern Christianity. It would not deny the importance of Jesus Christ. They would just dethrone him. They wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't deny that he was important. But they would take him off the throne where he was seated in his rightful place, said Hebrews. They would dethrone the power of God. They gave Jesus, oh Lord, this is a scriptural word you got to get down in your spirit. They gave him prominence, but not preeminence. Oh, I'm going to have to throw this lemon to somebody that needs some lemonade tonight. I said they gave him prominence, but not preeminence. And there is a vast difference. I hope nobody that's watching this tonight gets offended. Let me just be as vague as I can. I was at a place of business today, and someone was telling me about their first experience in a Pentecostal church, and they said, man, they said, I went one time... And I felt God like I've never felt God before. This person told me, they said, people around me were speaking with other tongues. They said, it was so real. I, fe I felt God just come all over me. And then they asked this question. It was kind of awkward, but I was just loving and straightforward. They said, what do I have to do to feel that again? Because most of the time I'm working every Sunday. I said, well, this is going to sound a little harsh, but let me, let me just tell you. I said, my relationship with Jesus, the Bible says, is like a marriage. We are the bridegroom of Christ. We, we, we are the bride. He is the groom. We are the bride of Christ. And I said, what you're saying to me is, you want to feel the intimacy with him. 
but you don't want to pay the price. I, I said, you, you understand where I'm at? I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude. They said, oh, I completely understand. I said, listen, here's the deal. I said, you can't walk in the house and just tell mama, I want you to come over here and just love on me, and then you go out and love on whoever you want to love on. Can, can I say this without just being plain? Everybody knows where I'm at tonight. We're, we can all be grown-ups here. I said, your marriage don't work that way. It is a relationship every single day. You don't, you don't go love anybody that you want to love and then just come home and expect there to be intimacy in the house. And I said, you can't just give everything else the first fruits of your life and then say, but man, I want to feel that feeling. What this is is giving him prominence, but not preeminence. It's saying, I know that he can make me feel that way. But I'm not going to make him first and foremost in my life. So I said, listen, what you felt, and I could just feel the Holy Ghost come on me. I said, what you felt was an invitation from him to come closer. And I said, and until you're willing to come closer to him and move away from what you're doing right now, you're not going to feel that again because he don't just hand that out. Hey, I want to tell you right now that the modern religious world wants to give him prominence. But I'm saying to you tonight, he is preeminent. He is first. Ah, I'm never going to get done. This is the critical error of much of Christianity today. Prominence over preeminence. And it is, it is desperate that we understand that Paul was very, very methodical in the book of Colossians. He was very, very methodical in how he got them to see the preeminence and power of the Messiah. Paul does not just directly attack their false doctrine by stating what it is that they believe that's wrong. But over the chapters of Colossians, over 30 times, Paul rejects their false doctrine over 30 times. Think about that. By lifting up Jesus Christ. By elevating the Messiah. And saying what he is and how powerful he is. Can I just tell you tonight that his name is still more powerful than any false doctrine? There is no name like the name of Jesus. Over 30 times in just four chapters, Paul uses one little word. It's three letters. It is A-L-L. All. He begins to deal with Jesus, and over 30 times he said all. And in this book of Colossians, he said it is all in him. Because it's all in him. We understand he is not just prominent, he is preeminent. Colossians 2 and 3, so very powerful, in whom are hid all. Somebody shout that word. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Same chapter, I'll, I'll move slow, Brother Tyler. Thank you for working with me. Colossians 2 and 9. For in him dwelleth, come on, somebody shout it at me. 
All? What? I, I don't understand, Pastor. All? Oh, absolutely. Jesus meant what he said in Matthew 28, 18. All power. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And verse 10 is absolutely one of the most powerful revelations you will ever read. You are complete in him. Which is a prominent figure in the church. Folks, I don't think people understand what they're reading when they read Colossians 2 and 10. I want you to think about this. Just keep that up there, right there. I'm going to move to the side for just a second. When we're putting on the armor of God, you'll pray in that prayer. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness and high places. Now, back to Colossians. You are complete in him. Which is the, oh God. He is the head of all principality and power. Paul said the very thing that you're fighting against, if you'll figure out who he is. He is the head of every principality. He is the head of every power. That's why at the name of Jesus, every demon's got. God, I feel the Holy Ghost up in here. There is no devil in hell that has a right to your home and to your family and to your mind. There is no principality that will stand in this evil day. I'm declaring to you that Jesus is the head of every principality and every power. That is not just a priority. That is not just prominence. That is preeminence. Oh, my, my, my. If there's anything that gets me excited, it's telling you who he is. Verse 15, very quickly. So how do we reconcile this flesh? Because I hear people using a word, Pastor, that's not biblical. I hear the word incarnation. Is not a biblical word. Let me just tell you this. I hear people using rapture too. And it's not a biblical word. But I sure do believe in a catching away. You understand what I'm saying? The word rapture is not in the scripture. But I believe in the rapture. Because it's describing what it is. And the word incarnation is not in the scripture. But it's exactly what he is. Well, prove it. Okay, we'll do that. 1 and 15, Brother Tyler. 1 and 15 of Colossians. This is, this, is, this is so awesome. We're talking about Jesus Christ here now. Now, I'm not going to look up there because I, I want to be sure that I'm not reading this wrong. I just need some, I don't have the guts to look. I need somebody that's looking up there right now to tell me what the incarnation means. What is it? Somebody just shout it out. He is the what? What? Can I give you the country boy version of what this verse is right here? I'm not adding two or three. Can I just tell you how a country boy would have to read that right there? 
He's the only God you'll ever lay an eyeball on. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. The God that you could not see. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that appeared in a burning bush. I'm telling you, that God, the I am. Oh, my, my, my. Jesus is the image. Jesus became the visible part of a God that man could not see. Amen. He became the image of the invisible God. Now, 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 stay with me right here. We're not going to leave the book at all. This is not apostolic doctrine or rhetoric. This is not something you're just going to hear at FPC, all right? Let's stay in the book. Let's go on to the very next verse. Who is the image of the invisible God in verse 15? Who is it? So then, who is the by him in the very next verse? For by him, who is the, the him? The image? Okay. Is everybody on the same page? Does everybody feel like the him in 16 is still Jesus? Have we left the Bible? Dr. Lang, have I left the word? Man, I hope so. If you'd have, if you'd have messed me up right there, I'd fired you. Brother Jordan, you still got baseball hands? Let's see if you got it. Oh, he still got it. He is the image of the invisible God. For by him. Bishop Bingham, I don't know how people miss it. All things were created by him. Well, certainly all the things that, 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 that were seen, right? Things that are in the earth. Now, let, let's not leave the book. That are in heaven. Oh, yeah, I, I can definitely see the, the, the tangible things, you know, the, the visible things. Okay, okay but let's, let's just stay in the book. That are in the earth. The visible. <laughs> and the invisible. And here it comes again. Whether they be thrones. Oh, my God. Preeminence power, authority, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and they were created for him. I'm telling every principality I know who my daddy is. What, what, what are we walking through here? I, I'm walking you through the 30. I'm walking you through the 30. I want you to pay attention to what we're reading right here. For by him were what? All. all. You see. Do you all see what that means right there? He is before all things. And all things were created by him. And by him all things exist. He's the firstborn from the dead. Verse 19. That in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him. And here comes that word again. Should all. Man, y'all are good preachers. 
Can, can I just thank Colossians for a minute? Keep working through these all. Is that okay? Is everybody, anybody tired? You ready to go home? How about, how about 3 and 17? Somebody shout all. What's it mean? Boy, y'all are jumping all over midnight. You're preaching. Okay. So these people that are confusing their doctrine, I've had them come to me before and say, I don't know whether to pray to the Father or pray to the Son or pray to the Holy Spirit. I mean, like, who do I pray to? Well, first of all, let's back up and punt right here. Let me just tell you, it's all in Him. So when you pray to Jesus, you're praying to the Father. Because He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come to the Father but by But Paul felt it was necessary to tell the Colossians that were getting messed up in their diversified funding of doctrine. He said, whatever you do, in word or deed. Do what now? All? Isn't that important, Paul? Yeah, 30 times all. It is important whatever you do in word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Oh, my, my, my. It's all. Mm. Let me break down something very, very quickly here. I've, I've got to get where I'm going because I'm almost out of time. Let's go back to the beginning of Colossians chapter 1. I was going to do some expository teaching on some of this tonight, but I want, I want to just kind of jump off in the halfway Halfway deep in right here. We're not going to go off snoring in Greek and, and Hebrew. But I, I want to take you just very quickly, if I could, to uh, chapter 1 and uh, to verse number 2. The language of the scripture when looking through ideas of creedal theology can really, really mess with you. Because when you read people say, well, if they're not separate, then why is the language separate? I want to, I want to show you the importance of how translation happens here, okay? <clears throat> and... Again, we're not going off in the real, real deep end. I just want to touch in Colossians because we're here. Verse number two, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace. Okay? Watch this. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number three. We give thanks to God. Oh. And the Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you. See, Pastor, right there, we've got, we've, got, we've got some serious issues right here. If you're looking through creedal theology, you have very serious issues. But I want to tell you that neither of the ands, okay? So in, in verse number two, peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Christ Jesus. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Neither one of these ands indicate two persons. The word and in the context of the scripture in Greek actually means even. It is not a conjunction that separates as in both, as in two separate things. It is a word in the Greek that actually means even. So if you read it as the same with even, it says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, even. The Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 
So understand me when I tell you that when you know who he is, you don't have trouble reading father-son language in the scripture. But if your eyes are deceived by generations of darkness, it's so difficult when your mind already has a separation. So you've got to pray, Lord, open my understanding that I would see your word. And then you have no problem whatsoever when you start reading 30 times in four chapters of one book. All. Somebody shout, it's all in him. Now, the thing that I really want you to understand tonight is that if in 25 years, if in 25 years, 27 Technically, depending on how you do your math, if when we believe Colossians was written is correct. If it only takes that short amount of time for first generation apostolics. Now, I want you to think about this. Brother King, this is crazy to me because these people are messed up in their doctrine before Nicaea. You understand what I'm saying? Like there's been no council in Nicaea yet. We're still 300 years from Nicaea. I'm not going to give you a math quiz. I'm just pointing out some things that's real obvious. This right here, if Paul does not deal with it right now, it turns into Nicaea. Is what I'm saying making sense? What is Nicaea? The Council of Nicaea in 325 was where the idea of the Trinity was introduced. And nobody knew anything else other than being baptized in the name of Jesus. You can grab early encyclopedias of Catholicism or whatever you want. But what's what's so crazy to me, and I'm fixing to get sidetracked here, I don't mean to, but I, I think it's so crazy because they claim that Peter was their first pope. Folks, get your, get your Bibles out, and I'll give $100 to the first person that can show me where at any given time that Peter ever even preached in Rome. For, I mean, not just for biblical reasons, but for, for, for reasons of Jewish custom. and life. He refused to go. Peter never preached, never stepped his foot in Rome, not one time in scriptural and historical references. Not one. Yet they've got him as the first pope of the Catholic Church. I talking to somebody the other day, and I, you know, I'm chasing this rabbit hole, but I got talking to somebody the other day about Catholicism. So, you know, y'all claim Peter's the first pope, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever read the book of Acts? Second chapter. Just grab that and turn over there to verse number 38 for me if you would. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I said, now hang on just one second. You know your first pope? Baptized in Jesus' name? I said, dude, back on up there. And we, man, we backed up. And I, I got to read. There was about 120. And it says who's gathered in there. It says, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yeah. Why is she specifically named on the day of Pentecost in the upper room? I said, hey, let me tell you something. 
Not only did your first pope get baptized in Jesus' name and had the Holy Ghost, but so did Mary, the mother of Jesus. And if Jesus' mother had to have the Holy Ghost get baptized in Jesus' name, don't you think you ought to? I refuse to look at my doctrine through that kind of a lens. So my point is very simply this. I've had people ask me, Pastor, how do these people get so far off on their doctrine? I mean, how, how do you go from baptizing in Jesus' name to baptizing in the titles? It's real simple. At about 27 years in the church, when false doctrine starts to rise and rumble underneath the people, you just sit in your jail cell and don't write a letter. All you have to do is just neglect to preach it and teach it. I get, I get, I get, oh Lord. I get so tired of these people saying, well, you know, I don't have to preach holiness from the pulpit. I just live in front of my people. Well, in about 25 years, you'll see. Well, there's a, there's a place to teach. How do you even teach about God and not teach holiness? Teach his very nature when you teach about it. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Uh, I just don't think it's necessary to preach it from the pulpit. Well, then in about 25 years, when you're gone, the next guy that fills that pulpit is going to say, well, you know, the last guy that was here, he didn't preach it. Paul could have looked at Epaphras that night and said, you know what, Epaphras, you and I are settled on the doctrine, son. We know who he is. We haven't just given him prominence. We've given him preeminence. We know who he is. He touched me. I could tell you my testimony on the road. To, man, I, we could go through the whole thing. I was blinded, knocked off my donkey. I, I could tell you the whole thing. We're settled on this, Epaphras. Don't worry about it, son. You go, you go back to Colossae and you just love those people. You go back to Colossians and you tell them, hey, Jesus understands your dilemma. He understands your predicament. Jesus understands why you're off in your dock. He understands that you live in a melting pot and the pressures of this area. I'm, it's cultural, you know? I've had men look me in the eyeball, like eyeball deep, and say to me, well, the reason that I don't teach that anymore is because where I pastor, man, it's, just, it's culturally different. And I just love to walk them right down this road right here to this letter and say, well, then why didn't he just send Epaphras home and say, well, son, I know it's culturally different. So you just go back over there and tell them if they don't want to give him preeminence, that's all right. But Paul understood if you don't give him preeminence, your kids won't even give him prominence and your grandkids won't even know who he is. There is something that has to happen in us. That the spirit gets on us just like it did Paul. Where it grieved his soul. And he said, I'd give anything if I could get there and tell you this myself. But I'm locked up in a prison. So let me send you a letter and tell you, he's all you'll ever need. You are complete in Jesus. You don't need some unknown God. You don't need to get off out there in Eastern philosophy. You don't need to jump off in Gnosticism. You just need Jesus. And when you've got Jesus, it's enough. If you believe it, shout yes. Oh, let's stand together. 
My God, my God, my God, my God, my God, my God. I just want, I want to hit one quick thing in closing in 1 and 6. I believe it is in, in, in chapter 1, verse 6. I don't have a clue what my notes say. I'm, I've been gone with my notes a long time. You know the world bringing forth fruit. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so he's talking about this gospel which has come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit. This is a language of evangelism as it doth also in you since the day that you heard it. The gospel is bringing forth fruit and knew the grace of God and truth. Let me tell you something that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention right here. This is, this is, I'm telling you this is where, where we're at. And I, I'm done preaching. These blended theologians, they were not about evangelism. They were not trying to convert uh, people that were wrapped up in Hellenism. Not, no, no, no. They weren't trying to convert lost people. They were trying to mess with the minds and pervert the doctrine of the apostolic church at Colossae. They were trying to come to people that knew the truth and pervert their thinking about the truth. In other words, they weren't evangelizing the world. They were evangelizing the church. And this is the spirit of this age right now. If you don't settle in your heart who he is, what he's about, what his word says, the religious world, I, I would probably get in trouble if I told you anything about the situation, but I know of one young family in a particular town that I've preached at in this country somewhere. That left their church and went to a Jesus is my boyfriend church where they can eat their cereal in the sanctuary. And these people are always talking about how they're going to win the world. You know, that's, oh, we're winning the world for Christ. But since that one family got bitter and, and moved to that church, all they've done nonstop is evangelize the apostolic church they came out of. No, no, no. Just, I'm going to ask you a question because I'm done preaching, but I got to ask you a question. If Pentecost is so old school and irrelevant and whatever, then why are we such a danger to your false doctrine that you feel like you got to keep coming back to get us? You understand what I'm saying? You're either established or you're not. You're either right or you're not. So don't come get friends that make you justify yourself and your false doctrine to make you feel all right. That'll make a preacher sweat right there when he preaches. I'm just saying, if you found your freedom, then stay in it. Because I prefer this freedom. That's what I prefer. Praise God. Y'all feel like you've been fed by a water hose tonight, by a fire hose? Lord, have mercy. Father, let the good seed of the word of God find good soil. Let it find somebody right now that's hungry for truth, that's hungry for revelation. God, this church has never been satisfied to give you prominence alone. We want to give you preeminence. You are the first and the last 
the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the ending, the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty God. We honor you tonight with the fruit of our lips and with the fruit of our lives. And we invite you, Lord, to keep us on the path. Reveal to us in our spirits, God. If we start to get out of alignment from your word, reveal it to us by your spirit and by your prophets and by the men of God that speak into our hearts and lives. God, be with us and keep us, protect us, keep us safe until our appointed time to be back together again. And we're going to give you the honor and the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, let the church say amen.